Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome to Ken's. My name's David Blowers. Let's, uh, let's pray, shall we, as we spend some time together in God's Word. Father, we thank you that you speak. We thank you that as you speak, we learn about ourselves, we learn about you. Father, today we ask that you would teach us how you see success. And we ask that you would teach us that, that we might be honest with ourselves as to where we stand with you. And we might be able to, through the kindness that you have shown us in Jesus, see our lives as you see them. And we ask this, Father, because we want your glory. We want our personality and our character to reflect who you, has ma- you have made us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some very successful people in the world. I was, uh, I was trying to reflect as to who the most successful person in the world might be. I don't know who you would list the most successful person in the world. Now, of course, it depends as to how you define success, doesn't it? Uh, the, the easiest metric to use is simply who has the most money. Uh, whoever dies with the most money wins, right? We could play that game, in which case this man is currently winning. His name is Jeff Bezos. He owns the vast majority of Amazon. Uh, last count, he's worth roughly $140 billion. Now, it's kind of hard to grasp that number, right? So let me, let me just spell it out for you slightly differently. This man has $140,000 million, right? $140,000 millions. So if you would like to have $1 million, this man has 140000 of those $1 million. He's a very rich man. However, if your measure of success is nothing to do with money, perhaps it's something uh, very different, like relationships, Jeff Bezos has recently divorced. So we wouldn't necessarily say he's a success. In fact, if we were going to measure it based on the number of people in your family, we would have to conclude that Zioma is the most successful person in the world. Uh, There's a photo of Zioma with his 39 wives, by which he now has 94 children, and 33 grandchildren. Uh, Yeah, words fail me. I mean, he's not quite up to Solomon's standard, as we read before, but, um, but that's pretty good, isn't it? Okay, well, how about we go somewhere different? What about the most successful person is the person who has given the most money away, the philanthropic heart, the one who has done the most for charity? As it turns out, this man would have to be the most successful person in the world, Warren Buffett. This man has given away $40 billion, right? So he has given away $40,000 million. Now, he still has over $100 billion. So when you talk about generosity, is he a generous man? Well, I don't know. What about something different? What about instead of money, wealth, what about if we go for intelligence? Perhaps that defines the most successful person. The most intelligent, the most educated, the most accomplished one among us wins. Now in that case, we'd probably have to give the crown to this man, who you've never heard of before. His name is Chris Langan. Anyone heard of Chris Langan before? He and another man named Terence Tao are currently tied for the smartest man in the world. Both of them essentially maxed out the IQ test. So this man, ordinary bloke that he looks like, has more than 230 IQ. Uh, Essentially, we are unable to measure how smart he is. Uh, Is that your measure of success? I don't know. 
Maybe we go sport. Maybe that's a bit closer to the Australian heart, isn't it? We, we measure success based on how we're doing on the sporting field. Who's the most successful sportsman today? Sportswoman, sportsperson? I don't know, who'd you pick? Mark who? Smiths. Spitz. What does he do? Swimmer. Lots of gold medals, right? I mean, I went this bloke. How could you not, right? Right, for, for all you tennis fans out there. He's got 101 titles. The guy's won 20 grand slams. Most people don't play professional tennis for 20 years, let alone having won that much. The guy's just insane. What you measure success... Now, of course, none of these truly define who the most successful person in the world is. Because we all know that the most successful person in the world is clearly Richard Gibson. Right? That, that's, that's what you were all going to say. Yeah? Because Richard Gibson holds the world record for the most amount of his own toenails that he has collected. Right? I mean, obviously he's the most successful person in the world, right? That jar apparently is 15 centimetres tall. Uh, the previous record was a guy who had a jar five centimetres tall. So Richard Gibson is our clear... Now, OK, right, that's a little bit of silly. They, they, these guys are all outliers, right? They are, they are extraordinary. They are people that few of us would ever think to reach those levels of success. So you, let's make it a little bit more personal. Who's the most successful person that you know? Just stop and think for a moment. Who's the most successful person? You don't have to answer to me. This is for you in your head. I want you, why are they so successful? Why do you consider that person to be the most... Maybe you've met the Queen, I don't know. Maybe you are friends with with famous politicians. Maybe you you wine and dine with business magnets. Maybe you are familiar with the pastor of a megachurch. Maybe you just think you are the most successful person you know because you are the parent of your children, whatever it might be. Let's make it even more personal for a moment. Do you consider your life a success? I suspect that most of us will have a mixed answer to that question. That in some areas we'll say, yes, I'm proud of that. And then there'll be other areas where we think, well, gee, I wish I'd done that differently. Or that I'd had an opportunity to. Or that I'd been able to achieve. Now, the last two weeks, we've been looking at the life of a man named Solomon. He was a king in Israel. And by whichever measure you choose to employ, Solomon was a success. In fact, I'd be prepared to argue that he was the most successful human being who has ever lived. You pick whichever measure you want. He did it. He had it. He achieved it. We're just going to do a quick little survey, right, of all the things that Solomon did. Now, we're going to be back in 1 Kings. You will find it helpful to have 1 Kings chapter 11 open in particular, as we're going to come to that in a moment. I was going to jump through a couple of other chapters along the way to show you what a great success Solomon was. We're going to start in chapter 4, where we ended up last week, as God gave Solomon this great wisdom. Right? Wisdom that brought with it fame and honour and glory. 1 Kings 4 verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including Ethan, Heman, Calcol, Dada, Mahal. His fame spread to all the surrounding nations. 
He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by the kings of the world who had heard of him. Solomon was Google of his day. You wanted to know something? You sent a messenger to Solomon to go and ask. You wanted a problem resolved? You sent a messenger to Solomon to ask. You knew there was the man. His wisdom was renowned. You want to talk about fame? You want to talk about accomplishment? You want to talk about intelligence? You want to talk about the ability to think through the world? Solomon was a success. He was a success at building things. Most of us would be pretty happy if we managed to buy a rundown dump and renovate it. If we managed that in our life, most of us would be content. Solomon built. He built the temple of the Lord. Have a look over at chapter 6, verse 37. Chapter 6, verse 37. The foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid in the fourth year. In the eleventh year, the temple was finished. In all its details, he had spent seven years building it. And I'll tell you what. That temple was quite something. Covered in bronze, the cedars of Lebanon, the finest wood known to man, concrete, uh, sorry, not concrete, stone foundations, gold throughout the building. But he didn't just build one big building, he built more. Chapter 7, verse 1. It took seven years to build the temple, it took Solomon 13 years to complete his palace massive palace he built for himself and he didn't stop there he then built another palace as the seat of government he then built another palace for his first wife the daughter of pharaoh and a bunch of other palaces for a bunch of his other i suspect that's how they maintained marital bliss each just lived in their own home they never saw each other perhaps is how but anyway solomon was a success when it came to building he was a success when it came to international peace and blessing to the world have a look in chapter 8 and verse 41, as Solomon is praying to God at the dedication of the temple, he prays for foreigners, for people outside of God's nation, God's people. Verse 41, as for the foreigner who doesn't belong to your people, this is Solomon praying to God, as for the foreigner who doesn't belong, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for men will hear of your great name. And when he comes and prays towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. You want to talk about success. Through Solomon's accomplishments, the nations would come and be blessed by God. In fact... In Solomon's time, God's promises to Israel were accomplished. They were fulfilled. Have a look down at verse 56 in chapter 8. As Solomon speaks to the people, as he addresses the assembly, he says, Praise be to the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. We're talking about success. In the reign of this king, the promises that God made hundreds of years earlier were fulfilled. Peace, blessing, prosperity. 
religious success had come about. The temple was built and God was dwelling in the midst of his people. And so we get to chapter 10 and verse 23 when we read this summary of King Solomon. 10.23 King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons, spices, horses and mules. He had it all. Solomon was the success. Now we might be tempted to measure success by those same tokens. By your wealth. I want to ask you before whether your life is, whether you consider your life to be a success or not. I wonder what you thought about. Your education perhaps. I finally got my PhD or my third degree or my cert four or whatever level it is of education you're pursuing. Your wealth. I finally have my share portfolio is complete. Fame. Maybe that's what drives you. I have X number of followers on Twitter or whatever it is that you define fame these days. I finally cracked 700 Facebook friends. Buildings and renovations. Perhaps even religion might be how you define success in your life. I go to church often enough. I'm, I'm, I'm on enough rosters. I'm, I'm a warden. I finally made it. Whatever, whatever, hey. Or maybe like me, you're not that ambitious. Maybe you're tempted to define success instead of by what you achieve, but by how comfortable you can be. I don't have to worry. I'm not stressed. That early retirement, it's on the cards. Maybe you define success simply by achieving inbox zero in the laundry, like my wife does. It becomes way more important as we stop and consider. What does God consider success? We can come up with whatever measures of success we want, but in the end, they're all pointless. It's as if we'd say, well, we might as well give it to Richard Gibson, because Richard Gibson, right? I mean, what measure of success will we employ? What matters above all else is what measure of success God has. Now, is, uh, am I still running with my slideshow there, Andrew? Just give me a sec. I've got it back. Don't worry. We'll just jump through again. We'll get back to Richard Gibson. Our own measures of success, oh, we've gone too far. Yes, I love technology. Now remember that movie? But not as much as you, you see. Anyone? Anyone? Don't worry about that if you don't know it. Right, sorry, Napoleon Dynamite. Ah, oh, come on. Right, the measure of success we come up with, we might as well give the crown to Richard Gibson. It doesn't matter. What matters is what does God consider success? What is it that he would have us do? What was it that God would have Solomon do for all of his glory and fame and wisdom and riches? Come all the way back to chapter 2 in 1 Kings because David set it out for Solomon. As David was dying, Solomon's dad, as he was passing on the kingship to Solomon, he told Solomon what he needed to do before God. 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 2. David giving this charge to Solomon. He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, so be strong, show yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways, keep his decrees and commandments, his laws and requirements, 
as written in the law of Moses. Oh, you'll get prosperity, Solomon. You're going to be a king, God has promised. You'll be amazing. What matters is that you walk God's way, that you listen to God. You remember that listening heart from last week? That you obey him, that you love God. The way that Jesus put it, he used slightly different words as he summed up the law. What did he say? The two greatest commandments. What does it look like to succeed? Love the Lord your God with everything that you've got, everything that you are. And because you love God that way, love your neighbor as yourself. You do that, well, you've achieved it all. Success for God is to have the right relationship with God. That brings about the right relationship with each other. For all of his success, Solomon was a complete and utter failure. For all the fame, for all the wisdom, for all the riches, when it came to God, Solomon failed. We read it in that chapter 11 that was read for us before. Come over to 1 Kings 11. See his failure. Chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites. He warned them, you must not intermarry with them. Because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. God told them, don't do it. Don't go and marry these women. They're not racist about it. He's just saying, you go and marry them and what are they going to do? They're going to turn your heart so that instead of loving me, the living God who has rescued you with an outstretched hand and made phenomenal promises to you, and they're going to take you to worship a statue. That someone made. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He didn't listen. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, Molech, the detestable god of the... These were not pretty gods. Molech, as far as we know, was the god, one of the major gods of the Canaanites' religion, to which they sacrificed their children. They burnt their children in worship of this god. The story goes, I don't, it's not in the Bible, so I don't know where it comes from, but I'll tell it to you anyway, because it's horrific, that they had two massive bronze hands that sat out in front of the statue and they would heat them red hot and then place their babies into those hands. And Solomon built a temple to that God. Failure? Yeah. Yeah. Well and truly. And it's a failure that has consequences. See, failure with God, it's a, if, we, if I get to the end of my life and I haven't ridden from the top of the Americas, from the top of North America to the bottom of South America on a Harley trike, I will be a little bit disappointed. I'd like to do that. But if I don't achieve it, eh, no big deal, right? That failure won't really cost me anything. 
To fail before God has severe consequences. Note what happened to Solomon. Verse 9, the Lord became angry with Solomon. We don't read those words very often. The Lord's wrath kindled against Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Note, there are not many people in the history of the universe to whom God has personally appeared and spoken. God appeared to Solomon when he gave him wisdom. He appeared to Solomon in blessing as the temple was complete. And to that God, Solomon turned his back. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, you have not kept my covenant, which I command you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Failure before God is serious and has significant consequences. And yet, and yet, even in his anger, God was still driven by mercy and true to his promises. Right? Verse 12, nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. You're going to get a reprieve. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him. I will give one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Solomon ought to give us a moment of pause. Solomon was the most successful human being to ever live on this planet. And he was a complete and utter failure. We must stop and take stock of what it is that God asks of us. You see, Solomon wasn't unusual. Solomon was completely normal. The reality, the truth is this, that we are all complete and utter failures. Now, I want to be clear for a moment as we talk about this next little bit. I'm talking about humanity in our natural state. Christians are no longer natural. We've been changed by God. But I want to remind us of what it is that we are without Jesus. We'll talk about what Jesus does for us in just a moment. But I'll remind you of what you would be, if what I am, without the Lord Jesus and the grace and mercy of God. However rich we might be, however accomplished, however educated, however big our house, however big our family, however well behaved they are, however great our career, the Bible is very, very clear. Every human being is a failure. I want you to come to Romans chapter 3 with me. Look up Romans chapter, we're going to look up two more Bible passages now. We're going to look up Romans 3 and then we're going to go to Ephesians 2. Come with me to Romans chapter 3. Listen to this description of humanity. This description of who we are. As Paul concludes this little section in Romans 3 verse 9, he asks, are we any better? Is it possible that Jews could maybe be better than those Gentiles? No, he says. Verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together. If you take the worth of every single human being and add it all up together, it amounts to nothing. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery walk their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. See, if success is defined by loving God, what we were created for, then by birth, by nature, we are all failures. We have exactly the same problem as Solomon. Not the 700 wives, I hope. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's, that's a problem of its own. The problem of the heart that pursues other loves. It may not be women, but there is always something that our heart yearns for and wants to replace instead of God. That we want to love rather than loving the one who made us. And that failure brings consequence, just like it did for Solomon. Every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God, Paul says. Not one person declared righteous and every single one held accountable for the way that we have wronged God. Now, I, I couldn't help, as I was reflecting on this, it, it's hard to make it into a big deal. Ah, oh, yeah, all right, okay. Ah, oh, we rejected God. Oh, well, I guess I'll get to the end of my life and be a bit disappointed, won't I? How, how, can we make, how can we feel the sense of the wrong that we have done, God? And the judgment that rightly falls. The closest illustration I could come up with was adultery. Was cheating in a relationship. I can think of no other thing that would hurt me more than my wife cheating on me. Now, I, I, I'm very thankful to God. He's been very kind to me and I trust my wife. What we have done to God is so much greater even than that. For we are rightly his. He made us. We belong to him. My wife doesn't belong to me. And yet if she were to betray the trust, it would hurt. We belong to God. And we turn away from him. In God's case, this, this, it's immoral, it's evil what we have done. It is truly wicked. Now, I want to remind you, if you're a Christian, I want you to remind you that this is who we are without Jesus. So that we might know and remember all the more the grace of God. The mercy when he has poured out to us, that it might be all the sweeter to us. That we are undeserving of what he gives. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus, then I want you to know this truth that you might seek a solution. Otherwise, you are doomed to failure and the consequences it brings. Solomon's failure is our failure. But there is good news. And the good news is really quite brilliant. The good news is this. We, who are failures a given success. It's, um, what's the name of the ice skater? They all fell down in front of him and he sailed through. They, all, we all know him. Why don't we all know Stephen Bradbury? He didn't achieve anything by his own merits. Right? It, it's not even that. It, it's, it's we, we passed the finish line last and then the judge came and gave us the victor's crown. That's what God has done for us. It's how God works. His kindness is based not on merit, at all but on his kindness and on his promises despite our failure despite the fact that we don't deserve anything 
God offers to give us success. Come to Ephesians 2. This is the last passage we're going to look up. Come back to Ephesians 2 to see how it's described. It's such a beautiful chapter, this one. I mean, look, look, we'll go from verse 1. Right, listen to this description of those who are outside of Jesus. As for you, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Right, dead, dead. Corpses. Unable to achieve anything. A dead person cannot achieve success. Right? If, if, if you're ever watching a, a race and one of the entrants is dead, don't bet on them. They will not succeed. We were dead. In trespass and sin, in which we used to live. But that's not all. In which used to live when you followed the ways of this world, verse 2, of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Isn't that lovely? Paul's description is dead and servants of Satan. There's been no success before God there. In fact, verse 3, it gets even, well, it doesn't get worse, there's just more to it. We all lived among them, those people at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Dead servants of Satan living carnally. Absolute failures. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That same anger, God was angry at Solomon, that same line applies to you and me outside of Jesus. God was angry at David. And then we get the two best words in the whole Bible, but God. <laughs> but God. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, what did he do? He took dead people and he made us alive in Christ Jesus. He took those who were slaves to Satan and having made us alive, raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Solomon sat on the throne of Israel. That was all right. We get to sit on the thrones of heaven. It is by grace you have been saved in order that in the coming ages, God might show his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's by grace you've been saved, through faith, not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. Despite the failure, despite what we deserve, objects of wrath, in the same way that God showed kindness to Solomon, he has shown... Uh, kindness doesn't seem to capture it, really. I don't think we have a big enough word for it astonishing mercy, lavish love. He took us who were dead and made us alive. He forgave our failure. He raised us to sit with Jesus. He brought us back to purpose, back to the glory of God, what we were made for. And then he remade us. Verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, if we learn anything from Solomon, please learn this. The self-driven life will only end in failure. If you pursue your success by your, by your means and by your way, you will fail. You will lose it all. Jesus put it this way, whoever would gain their life, whoever pursues their own life, whoever seeks to do it their way, will lose it. And whoever loses their life, whoever just gives it up, for my sake and for the gospel, 
will gain. I want to invite you today to reconsider what success looks like in your life. It doesn't matter if you are poor or uneducated. If you live in a small, unrenovated house. If you have kids or if you don't have kids. It doesn't matter if you are rich or accomplished or famous. It doesn't matter if you look at the world and you think that by their standards you have failed. It does not matter. If your life is a life that is lived by the mercy of God, that in his kindness he has made you anew, forgave the old and brought life, such that you now live loving God with all that you are and all that you have, and so loving your neighbour, then you today already are the greatest success the world has ever seen. For you are displaying God's character. You are displaying God's work. You are God's creation. But if your life is about anything else, then in the end you can only fail. What are you going to pursue? What success are you going to... As you wake up each morning this week, yeah, by all means, have your to-do list and your things you need to do today and whatever. Can I encourage you as you wake up, remember what success looks like. Will I today love God? Will I today love my neighbour? Only by God's grace, only by God's mercy, dependent upon him. Because what we want above all else is for his glory to be in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Solomon, a man who, despite his failings, you were still kind to. Thank you for how he displays to us your character, a God who makes promises and who acts in mercy and in love. We thank you that despite our failure, our sin, our wickedness, despite the fact that before you we were failures, we deserved nothing, you came and you gave us life. You gave us forgiveness. You showed mercy. You raised us up to sit with the Lord Jesus. You've made us anew, transformed new hearts, new minds, new lives to do the good works that you have prepared for us. Father, please take away from us the idols of our world, the loves that we are so tempted to pursue. And instead, Father, fill us, fill us with love for you and so love for one another. And we ask this, Father, for your glory, that you might be displayed in us and in Jesus' name. Amen.